tuned into the Attack Release Show. My name's Sam Moses. Thank you. Was good. Sometimes you nail it. Uh, Name's Sam Moses. I'm with my good, great, better, good, great friend, Matt Garber. Good looking, too. He's good looking, too. Wow, wow. Wow. Look at this guy. Sharp. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to a, another episode. I am stoked about this episode. I think you will enjoy it. The topic today is how to finish a record, how we approach it, how we approach singles, LPs, EPs. Probably give some tidbits on how each of us actually do finish a record, what we listen for, what we work on uh, when we're finishing a record, how that's different. And also might address, address, and address, duh. I think I'm going dumb. Uh, when do you know a record is done? How do you know? The age-old question, how do I know it's done? Things that uh, we've learned on how to call the records done. So, Matt, mm-hmm. do you want to take us into some housekeeping? Do I get different music or is it the same music? probably the same music unless you want your own theme song (laughs) i don't care that much (laughs) all right friends family acquaintances maybe people just don't like us they're just listening anyway like man i hate that guy so much (laughs) every time he talks i can't wait to skip that part love to hate anyway regardless we're glad you're here if you wouldn't mind during this podcast now or later or whenever hi biggie yeah, yo, take a screenshot right now. And do you have like an Instagram for Biggie? I feel like you would have an Instagram for no, Biggie. No, I don't do that to my dog. Oh. I don't have All his right. consent. Y'all should tag, or I, I probably couldn't actually tag. There's probably some page for Biggie Smalls. <laughs> tag, tag Biggie Smalls in this. <laughs> See what happens. I don't know what Any- you're tagging if you're tagging Biggie Smalls. The yeah, it won't, it won't be Sam's dog. Anyway, take a screenshot of right now. Say, Matt, you're kind of ridiculous, and tag Biggie Smalls, and yeah, we'll kind of we'll kind of see where that ends up. But or, post it on it. Sorry, you could tag your own dog. I don't do this normally. Tag your own dog and tag us as well. Show off your dog. That could be cool. Show off your dog. Show off your dog. Tag us. Let's see some dogs. I'll see the I'll see the little dog photos. People do like dog sessions. Do you do dog photo sessions? Do I do dog? I mean, I take a photo. I know people who do dog photo sessions. Yeah, I have had a session for my dog with a photographer. Just your dog. Are yeah. you in any of them or just the dog? No, just the dog. Huh. My friend Amani, shout out Amani. I don't know if she ever listens to this. She's a professional photographer. She did a dog session when he was two. Some of my favorite photos. Well, there you go. <laughs> It's real, true story. My wife does sessions for the kids. I just didn't know people do it for the dogs. Yeah, we did that. Anywho, back to housekeeping. (laughs) Go ahead and take a screenshot, throw it up on Instagram, or go to iTunes, Google, wherever you're listening. Leave us some likes, stars, comments, cries of outrage, whatever it is. Really, anything helps. Kind of of move the bus forward. And uh, yeah, we would greatly greatly appreciate it. If you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. That wraps housekeeping. Probably yes. the smoothest one I've done, even though it got derailed four times. But that's just what happens when you give me housekeeping. <laughs> Love it. So, let's get into it. Let's get into it. That totally like spiked my... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that clipped. All Clear right, whatever. Uh, Matt, <clears throat> mm-hmm. how... Do you finish a record? How do you approach it? How do it? I finish a record? How do you finish it? So we have, I believe, already done an episode about how we approach a record. Mm-hmm. But we've never done one on finishing a record. Mm-hmm. When you do and you approach sessions, is it generally different from how you approach a single to let's define an EP like two to what's our cutoff like five six songs before it comes an LP I don't know officially but I usually cap it at like seven or eight 
Wasn't like the old school EP to LP kind of when you could fit on like, yeah, like based one on side, yeah. one side of a record, and yep. then when you had to do two sides, that's when it went to LP. Yep. It was like it was like extended play. So yep. a single was just the single, like song. You had a front and back, and it was on. I think it's just like a like a seven inch record, right. I believe. And he had like the big old hole in the middle of it, which those are kind of annoying, but. Because you got to buy the adapter and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then when you go to the EP, you have the extended play, and then the LP was the long play. Long and I believe play. it's from when you switched sides. Yes. But I also don't know if it comes into anything as far as like how large the record itself is. But anyway, <laughs> do you approach those differently? Yes. Samuel. I sure do. Would you like to know why? <laughs> I'd love to know why. Cool. We got like an hour to tell people why. Wow. Okay. So this is something that comes up quite often uh, with people when we're approaching singles, EPs, LPs, and by LP full length. And often when I am doing a single, well, usually I'll have a conversation and ask them, is this going to be on an EP or an LP down the road, like a full length eventually? And if so, when do you think we'll have the rest of those songs and who's all involved? Mm. So I do a little uh, research ahead to help myself and help the client get the best in product, most cohesive product by doing a little legwork right up front. Um, And a lot of the times too, my clients will say, hey, this is going to be a single and then I have another single and then we're going to put three more out with an EP and then do a single and then a single and then the full length like through the year. Some A lot of my clients actually kind of know what they're doing for the year, which is always lovely. Oh, yeah. But if it's a newer client or something, I will often ask, you know, will there be any more songs we're going to do? You know, will it be the same studio, same mixer? Just so I have an understanding of what I'm getting into for a single or an EP or an LP. Because sometimes people do two EPs and then make it into an LP mm. and like do some acoustic versions. I've had it split the other way to where somebody did an LP yeah. and then split that. a pandemic came and then they split it into two EPs. Yes, that's good Which I too. thought was pretty clever. Yeah. But the song order changed and they didn't tell me and they just split them all up <laughs> well, and rearranged it themselves. can sometimes work out, sometimes not. Um, sometimes. It sounds pretty good. Right. But with singles, I'll often approach, if someone's like, no, this is straight up a single, and I'm not sure if I'm doing an EP, not sure I'm doing an LP, it's just a single, I will usually try and master it to its, I'll call its full potential by itself, with no other context surrounding it, other than... 100%. I'm going to try and make this, probably with my clients, the most loud, punchy, competitive, top 40 sounding song I can make it, without having to worry about any other type of songs that may be around it in an EP or an LP situation. You have to. Right. When you say that, because it has to stand on its own. Right. So for me, that's how I approach a single. When we get EPs or LPs, you know, four or five songs or 12 or 13, or people are doing longer ones, it seems like more lately, Matt was just talking about that, like 20-some songs, um, which is kind of fun, like a deluxe or a double disc almost idea, Um, then I have to take into account every song. And part of the trickiness I find with kind of the genres I work with, which are mainly kind of more of your top 40 pop, you know, pop, trap, indie pop, punk pop, is genre has really kind of gone out the window of your record has to be the same genre the whole time. So there could be like, it's very trendy to have like a demo sounding song that sounds like you recorded it in your closet, which Mm. they probably didn't. They probably just threw a plug in on after to make it sound that way. It's called a closet. You know, and then that is next to like a perfectly ear candy polished you know, like Katy Perry type radio single and that's then next to like a super dancey house song and then there's like some acoustic ballads or something. And so you have this wide range of sonic material that kind of has, well, it really does have a lot of variety. So at that stage, I have to think about each song and where the album can kind of go as a whole, what the album's potential is. And a lot of what I listened to during that time, this kind of gets into part of my approach, which I don't think I really shared 
honestly, in the last episode was I like to listen to all the songs, which I think every mm-hmm. good master engineer does, <laughs> should listen to your music. And then I like to kind of mentally, or I'll make notes, like I call it like logging the quality of song. And within that, I log like the vocal placement. Because to me, vocal placement is like the ultimate indicator of loudness in 2022 and also before the last few years. Depending on where a vocal is placed will drastically impact how someone perceives how loud a song is. So if you go with an acoustic guitar and a vocal song right up front, on the meters it could read identical to the next song that's like a full-blown pop song with a bunch of, say, like wall of sound synths and side chains and like a normal radio or playlist song. Um, that song could be identical on the meters to the acoustic one, but the perceived value of the acoustic vocal one is so much louder just because there's only a few elements so your ears are super drawn to it and that vocal traditionally is standing out way more than how it might be kind of glued into a pop track that has a bunch of stuff going on so i immediately start listening to i'll call it like the quality sonic quality of the song like is it narrow are these wide songs are they they have depth you know are they balanced and then where's the vocal at and i kind of make notes on the songs of the vocal here's more up front this one's less this is you know, blah, blah. And I'll start within listening to all the songs. I'll jump to all the choruses. This is just Sam's secret tips, you know? Just go to all the choruses and log the same thing. What do the choruses feel like? And at this stage, I do a mental inventory for most of it. And then if there's kind of an oddball song, by oddball, it doesn't mean it's bad, just kind of one that doesn't fit or feel like the others, I'll make a note of it on my notes uh, in Logic. And I just listen to all the courses and start to think, okay, the vocals here, the vocals here, this is punching this way, this is punching that way. And then I have to kind of decide, I go within that, I start metering, or more so I can just hear with my ears at this stage, wasn't always this way, of course, but which one is the most compressed? So the most compressed song is often the most, the song that is most loud more often, or most often. And so that, for me, a lot of times, I try to find the most compressed song with the loudest vocal, And I make that become kind of like, this is my end-all be-all. Like, this is where everything needs to try and get to. Or I get into a sticky situation that I don't recommend doing, which is the opposite of you're trying to make the super compressed upfront song sound less compressed and upfront. Usually that makes that song sound terrible and lopsided. So I'll try and make all the songs, I basically have like a benchmark song where I'm like, this is the song that, in my opinion, is close to done or is done in theory. It sounds the best. It fits, you know, the end goal the best. And then I try and get every other song to that spot, um, you know, to make it all feel cohesive. So that's kind of how I work through like LPs is like heavy focus on listening to all the songs, taking notes, where is the vocal sitting? How does the song feel? Go through each chorus quickly this is like rundown one of me making a list before I really dive into each song. But go to each course and make a, a mental checklist or write it out of where everything's kind of sitting. And then I find within that checklist, I'll go through and go, okay, the vocal, this vocal's most upfront and this song is also the most compressed. So let's try and get everything to this potential. And that assumes, of course, that the one that's most compressed with the vocal front is the best sounding song. With a lot of the genres I do, that is often the case just because of the energy everybody wants. That song has usually mm-hmm. been, you know, the song everybody's like, this feels like the single. <laughs> the single usually feels like the most loud song for most people. <laughs> Dude, I always guess it wrong. If I don't know what it is, I'm going to be like, oh, this is going to be the single. I master it like it's going to be. Right. It's never the single. Yeah. So that's like my, my quick, you know, it took me a long time to like figure that little thing out that I just presented. So if you're out there and you feel often lost um, with like how to approach a song or multiple songs together, pay heavy attention to where the vocal is. Where does the vocal live? You know, does it feel up front? Does it feel tucked away? Does it feel blurry? Does it feel bright? Because if you can get each vocal on each song to feel quote unquote identical, most people in my experience then have no issues with volume of being like, this doesn't feel cohesive or song one sounds louder than two or five and five doesn't feel like it fits with 12. I heavily focus on vocal placement 
when I'm mastering mm-hmm. and what makes the vocal shine. Because often that is the star at the end of the day. It's the artist we're highlighting for the most part in pop stuff. So if the vocal is not sounding spectacular, then usually people start complaining. Rightfully show, I think, for the genre that I do most of. So that's my initial opening monologue. <coughs> Matt... I'm yeah, actually, this whole dialogue thing is just like... We don't dialogue. Um, no, you don't dialogue. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I would say that as far as the vocal being out front, it is incredibly genre-dependent. Genre yeah. And so one of the first things that I do, or one of the things that like I'm always keeping in mind is where is this vocal sitting, as you said. And... um. To me, there's two places where the vocal generally sits. It's rarely too low, um, at least in the final master, but there's kind of like two ways that I've kind of mentally allocated on how it generally comes out, and it's all per genre. It's either like right out front, and almost like sometimes it can even be like too far out front, kind of like intimately out front. Um, And there's kind of like a range of like comfortably close, Um, But then there's also, and I've kind of termed it as like carrying over from like the front of house world. I would always say um, vocals were always like the most important thing to me whenever I would be mixing. And you ever hear somebody mix something live and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, guitars are like pretty loud today. Okay, so that's JT. Or it's like, man, the drums sound really good. It's like, oh yeah, that front of house guy, he's a drummer. So it's like, that's going to be like his, his forte. Um, it's like, oh, it kind of sounds like crap. Oh, it must be this guy. Until you kind of like can audibly just tell by songs about like, oh yeah, well, the tracks are really loud or something. And so um, something that I never really understood for live performances, but I see a lot of people do it. And it's a term I came up with. I've never heard anyone else use it. And y'all are more than welcome to steal it or take credit for it. I don't care. Is It's a term called pillowed to where the vocal is physically pillowed amongst the instrumentals and it's not really any louder than the instrumentals. It's just kind of like if you're laying a, laying in a pillow, there's parts of the pillow that are coming to like the side of your face. And so your face is just, or your head is just kind of like recessed into the pillow, but the other parts of the pillow are kind of like coming up and all like around your head. And I've always never really understood that as far as like front of house, because me personally, it's all about, I want vocals forward. That's that's my big thing. Um, but when you come into, say, some of the genres that I'm in and the more independent stuff, they're going for like that pillowy kind of thing. If you're going into like psychedelic, if you're going into anything kind of lo-fi or something like that, one of my issues actually is, um, it's not it's not an issue, but it's something I'm incredibly cognizant of. And it's... I want to make sure, say, if I have something that's lo-fi, that I don't clean it up too much and that I don't bring that vocal like forward too much. It's We could do a whole episode on vocals yeah. and vocal placement in the master. So, But I have a question for you. Yes. Um, and this is a very, like, your mileage may vary question, <laughs> but I feel like this is a very important question to at least chat about in this type of thing. Hmm. So let's say you have five singles. Yes. That were all done. Let's say that they give everyone the benefit of the doubt. They were all recorded at the same time, but released over the course of a year. Those five singles are now absorbed into a, call it a 15, 20 song record. And all five of those singles were mastered at different times. They all sound the same, Mm -hmm. but they're all singles. And they're all intended to be loud on their own. And granted, you keep them like pretty well leveled to where, like, let's just say that it's like, okay, this is kind of where we did the other singles at. Right. Let's say you did that. How do you bring up, say it's a 20-song record, how do you do the other 15? Now is, are the other 15 to roughly around like the same point as the singles? Are we going to be talking about maybe dialing back some of the single level? Are we in... I don't know. Like some some of it, like there's a there's a delivery kind of like psych, psychosis to a bit because it's like you don't want to turn down a single that was at like zero zero or minus or like minus zero point two, right. whatever you delivered at. Um, but to some people, that kind of matters. If like, oh, well, why is this turned down now? Why is this quieter? Yeah. And so, what do you generally do if you have that many singles now going into a larger record? 
Is remastering any of them like ever a consideration? What do you do? Yes to everything. Um, it just depends <laughs> on the context. Like, I have been in situations where I've remastered certain songs to be louder to fit the rest of the record. Um, most of the time, to be honest, most of the time I don't have any issues matching the other 15 songs to the other five. Yeah. And I'm heavily, I wasn't always this way, but I'm heavily aware of, even if people tell me this will just be a single and then we do another one, this is just a single. <laughs> you know where it's going. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> They're going to be on an album eventually. So I always, I mean, I did it today. There was two more singles for two different clients and we did a single in January, we did a single in February, no record, you know. But I immediately pulled up the old, the original session and looked yeah. at where did we land, what did we do, what was our signal chain to get my head back in that space. And then I listened to this new song, and it's from the same person. And so then I know, okay, we can get back to that other spot, you know, and I'm going to mentally go ahead and, and kind of, protect myself, you know, and, and best serve the client like long-term sure. through the year, you know, putting out music that everything does still feel cohesive, even if they haven't told me this is going to be an EP. And maybe it never becomes an LP. Maybe it is just single each month and they yeah. just keep doing that. And, you know, I just, I kind of do that work myself. I'm constantly trying to solve my own potential problems for the client mm -hmm. in the future, if that makes any sense. Like, at this stage, I have enough experience to where I've kind of ran into not every situation because, like, every couple of weeks I text you, Matt, and I'm like, this is a first. <laughs> I've never yeah. had this happen. But for the most part, I kind of am aware of how people work and flow. And so I will often master everything kind of like for the year. Like, I pick like a loudness for the year. Like, this is where that's I'll funny. be most of the year. This is the new black. Yeah, that's kind of. <laughs> Minus two is the new black. Right. That's kind of like what I do mentally. Like, every client, I'm like, this seems to be the trend. If there is a trend, you know, of this or that. Um, so I kind of take everybody's record there based on references if they have them. But a lot of people are kind of starting to want their own sound, I think, which is kind of fun. But. Still loud records, but own Sonic stamp. So anyway, to not be too long-winded on that, um, I I usually am able to match everything to the previous release singles. Sometimes it's just as easy as a volume adjustment. You know, if the five singles are all ripping loud and the other 15 sure. then have some ballads or like, you know, some down stuff, then, you know, I might have to lower something here and there. But usually I don't have any issues getting us up to that level um, yeah. where the first singles were at. I've never really ran into a situation where I've gotten into big trouble with it. Outside of, there's been a few times where we've had like three, four mixers, three, four producers, three, four studios. And so everything yeah. sonically feels really different. At that stage, my approach is actually, um, you know, if they've done a few singles and then I get 10 songs from three different people, I will usually, that's where like to me, analog gear sometimes really shines mm -hmm. and that I can hit like the overstayer with everything kind of with, like the same harmonic setting, just something, yeah. something consistent that I can imprint in the record that feels good on each song. I can usually find something where I'm like, okay, this shelf or this second order harmonic blended in 10% on each song kind of gives this certain glue and cohesiveness to where now every song feels like it was done by the quote unquote same person. Closer. Yeah, it feels like a record, feels like a cohesive body of work. So that mm. sometimes takes some time, but that was something, I don't know, no one ever taught me that. I just was kind of like, I need to find the continual thread in the record. And that's something mm -hmm. I listen to too when I'm listening through the songs is like, what what's the continual thing in this record? What does each song have? You know, it's like a Venn diagram almost, I think, of like what falls within the circles. Sometimes it's like, oh, the drums are just hella loud, like every song, or like the vocal's always up front, or the vocal's always pushed back, or it's really wide, or there's usually something you can pick out in a record that feels that each song kind of has, even if it was done by multiple people, I feel like at this stage I can hear with my ears like, oh, I can lean into this being the punchy record or this being like the 
smiley face record or this being the saturated record and then kind of go from there. And that's kind of where I've had people email me back and be like, I have no idea how you did this, but it feels so cohesive now. And it, I really do believe it's if being able to find that thing and that's analog gear to me still shines over plugins of being able to create some sort of harmonic consistency or glue that makes each song still feel complete. So I'm going to pause there. What do you do, Matt? Um, real quick, as far as multiple engineers go, and then I'll go on to what I do. Yeah. Um, I tread very lightly in this territory, and I understand that it's like it's just like a thing that happens. And it's like just like a creative juice kind of a thing. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do this part here and this part here. And it's like, oh, we recorded some songs over there and like budget's not there to, you know, re-record them or something. But they still sound really good or or whatever. Or you just wanted to give like, you just wanted to split the record up into like, you wanted to half it or, or do thirds or something like that. Um, I've never had more than that. Um, <clears throat> I 100% align with you and I'm always looking for what's a way that I can bring some at least harmonic cohesiveness to this? And I also arrived at this because no one talks about this. I, and that's like one of the interesting things about our podcast is I feel like we're, like for some reason, nobody else talks about this type of stuff. And it's so trivial, but it's so darn important that it's like, this is how you need to actually make this record flow. And sometimes you have to realize this puppy's never gonna sound like all like like everything was done in the same place, and so whether a conversation just needs to be had just to kind of like let everyone know as far as expectations go, or you can just deliver and you know they're gonna love it anyway. Um, but as far as the multiple engineer thing, there is one line that I draw, mm-hmm. and that's when it comes down. This is gonna sound weird. It's when it comes down to multiple mastering engineers. If another mastering engineer has done part of the record, mm-hmm. I 100% do not touch it. Yeah. Because multiple mastering engineers is just, you're just asking for trouble. Nothing at all will sound the same. And it, it's, it's one of the very few lines that I draw, a non-negotiable of, listen, I recommend you have them do the whole record or me do the whole record. But... Um, as everything stands right now, this is not something I'm interested in. And so it's it's nothing business, it's just personal. <laughs> not not that, uh, the other way around. Um, okay, so off of that, um, as far as song to song, um, let's talk about EP and LP. Um, singles, I feel like, are pretty easy. Is that like, in that approach, it's just... They send me the checklist, and I just kind of read their expectations and whatnot. I, li- I listen to, I ask them for any sonic references, and if I need to go listen to them, I go listen to them. I have a pretty solid memory as far as like sonic like signature is um, concerned. So I don't always need to go listen, but if it's like if there's something kind of off the wall, it's like going oh, wrong. I, I kind of use the sonic reference part of my checklist to see what new bands are out there if I need to be listening to someone I'm not. Um, the single, that, that's, that's kind of how I approach it. It's pretty, it's pretty linear. It's, um, I mean, so long as the mix is good and like everything's in the right place and we can proceed, then yeah, go ahead and like full steam ahead. As far as like coming into like a song to song kind of like EP, LP kind of a thing and like, I, I'm not even going to talk on like the two song thing because the two songs can be pretty far apart. Excuse me. When you get to three songs and up, it's like you start to get into a little bit of an interesting part. And it, it's also, everyone has their own thing. I, I haven't really seen two people who really do it the same. Um, like even how we set up our DAW, like some people have the little staircase, some people like literally just line it, line up, line up, what is it, all the tracks out. Some people do the little staggered thing, like one on, like they do, they say 10 songs, they have two tracks and they have a mix here, up here, and a mix down here. And they're kind of like, like offsetting them. I honestly don't really know how a lot of that works. I'm not that good. I do the little staircase thing. What do you, do you do the staircase? For doing the full lengths. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I sure do. Um, so I'm a guy who really likes patterns. And so 
like, I don't know. I love cutting my lawn, so I'm going to use a lawn, lawn analogy. So if I'm ever cutting a lawn that I've never cut before, when I was a kid, I had a lawn business, so I've thought a lot about this. I always like divide something up into sections and you're going to be able to handle those sections better. And when you do it in general, it's going to like the end product is going to be a lot nicer. And so as with like a record, I don't necessarily divide it up into sections, but eventually so long as everything is recorded in a relatively cohesive way, everything's sounding pretty darn good. Um, everything is really where it needs to be as far as a mix perspective. And then we go into mastering. If you're 10, 15 songs, I don't really think you're going to have much too different of a formula for each song unless they are incredibly different. Um, and so I'll keep a pretty close gear setting for a lot of these. And don't get me wrong, there will be slight changes in between songs, and there might be like plug-in changes and whatnot. But for the most part, all my gear will stay the same. I line everything up, and then I listen through the whole thing. Um, I don't do uh, what Sam does. I probably should. I'd probably be a lot better at what I do. Um, and I listen to the whole album, typically the day before the session is scheduled for. And so it's like, I'll just be working in my office and I'll just have the session running through just like song to song to song, just built up in the DAW. And uh, so it's like, I, I can form like a general opinion. And once again, it's the day before I can go home that night and I can be like, oh yeah, this, I like this. I didn't like this. Like I, like, I, I don't actually write notes in Logic. I write like gear notes, but like I have note cards analog. <laughs> and like, I'll write down really like what I think. I'll fold it up. I'll put it in my pocket and I'll like go home and... It's like after dinner, kids go to bed and stuff like that. I can pull it out and I can kind of read my note about like what I thought or I can leave it on my desk and I can save it till the next day or something. And uh, yeah, so essentially I get started with generally, obviously the first song and there, there's like a whole thing. Like if you haven't really figured it out in like a set amount of time and if it's like kind of like a pain in the butt, it's like move on and come back to it. And that's kind of my rule because... In general, the, you're not going to establish the pattern for the rest of the album on the first song. It's going to probably be a slight variation. This is for me. It's going to be a slight variation of what you did on the first song if everything, once again, is relatively cohesive. And I generally, if when I master the first song, I master it knowing that the pattern is not established and I'll more than likely end up coming back to it for like a final tweak mm -hmm. because the rest of the album may not actually sound like the first song. I don't know why. This is just a weird thing that I do. Um, and so, and I, 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 mess, I think I mentioned this in an episode prior, but the way that I do things is actually, in my mind, very inefficient because I feel like there's probably like I could probably sit down and <laughs> I say it's like maybe I'm like I'm like two cigars away from a breakthrough on this or something <laughs> like that if I just like sit down and think about it. But what I'll do is I'll generally take a pass at everything and I I'll generally be like, okay, is there any plugin that I really feel like using? And the plugin really just stages the mix to be ready to go into the analog if we are in fact going into the analog. 95% of all stuff does go into the analog. Um, if we are going into the analog, what are we going to be doing? What are our goals in here? And if, does stuff need to move around? Does it not need to move around? There was a, I don't even know how to, what do they call it? Like the, the genre was like Vaporwave was the was a recent one. Mm -hmm. And it was three songs and like I was kind of like playing around with some stuff like but on the whole day before. And then I was like, none of this sounds good. And I think one of the biggest disciplines, one of the hardest things to do is to look at a $3,000, $6,000 piece of gear and be like, I don't need you. Um, but I think it's a mature decision from the guise of that maturity is what you don't do as opposed to what you do. Um, so not using a piece of gear. <clears throat> and I just kind of came to the conclusion, this just needs to be louder. And I didn't like doing it in the analog. And so I actually did something you do is like I kind of like approach it from like a clipping standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so that was like one of the first things that like I did. And then it's like, okay, now how do we kind of achieve like this loudness? Because that was really the only thing I need, think, thought it needed to be. And so besides that, it was pretty fantastic. And it turned out like, in my opinion, perfect. Um, but anyway, 
Um, like I'll establish these patterns first of all. I'll establish like a general gear chain, and then like the next song comes along, and I'll just kind of like insert relatively the same gear chain one at a time, and be like, okay, does this work? Does this not work? And then like, what tweaks do we need to make? Make your little notes on the side of Logic, at least for me. And so I'll go through all of that, and I'll have like all of my analog prints, and I'll go through if anything needs to happen afterwards. And then I'll have a final pass of everything just with like final output level, just like song to song, listening to like how everything's transitioning, and then I'll go to print. Is that really inefficient? Like three passes? <laughs> I don't know. How, so say you're you have 10 songs. Yeah. How are you how are you approaching 10 songs? Like you're done with your print and you you've assessed all of that. Are you pretty much happy with your output level at that time? Yeah, song pretty, to song and everything? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I'm never happy. <laughs> <laughs> but like I never get to the point to where like I want to go loudness-wise because I don't want to drive the crap out of my chain either. Right. Yeah. So you're you're printing and you're thinking like normally song to song, you're pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, coming in the box, I kind of go for everything to be at the same level coming back in. And then, but that 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 can vary too, depending on what's driving that level. Um, yeah, you like this it can a dialogue. Be. It can be, yeah. But most of the time, it's I'm looking at my levels coming in, and I try to get it. You know, depending on what the piece of gear is coming out, <laughs> last in the chain or whatever, I'll try and decide where to put that so the output is kind of peaking within like a dB of every other song. And then I'll, so say, just for example, say it comes in at like negative 12. Um, then like on the fab filter, I'll have like plus 12 to just get me to zero, basically, in the box. So yeah. I, so everything is, I, I'm st I can start to hear everything at like final level. Because I, I usually have like all the compression I want before I come back in the box. Sure. Um, for the most part. I mean, I'm not really doing any heavy lifting in theory, unless I've decided to work in the box on a song that's, you know, already pinned or something. But yeah, I mean, at this stage, it's everything's extremely cohesive coming back in and going out. I will, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit before. I'll, if stuff is all over the place, I'll just change the gain in the box first to get all the songs to be yeah, more cons sure. consistent, you know, so that it hits the gear more consistent. And you're like for the for the people at home, the minus twelve plus twelve thing is like like DB full scale. Yeah, not like you're not going like RMS or anything. No, yeah, like, sorry, yeah, just just talking. like just like defining values and whatnot. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so you're not. And so one thing you have to understand about what Sam's doing is is you're generally pulling stuff down. Yes. To to then bring it back up. Correct. And so when you're saying about plus 12 back in the box. Yeah. You're not taking off really any... Like, what are you taking off? Oh, like nothing. As far as... Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want people to be like, yo, Sam right. just like slams this thing. No. We're, I'm going to make a Sam Moses preset <laughs> in my L2. Yeah. No, it's coming back in the box, like peaking at like negative 12. And then I know I need to get up to negative 0.2 basically is where my final output is. So I know if I do quick math, if the songs are coming in at negative 12, fab filter plus 12 in the gain, and then it's just like tickling, you know, uh, you know, 0.2 or something is coming in. You know, the fab mm -hmm. filter is catching any peaking, inner sample peaking too that may have happened from, in theory, I mean, the gear is clipping. I'm not clipping, but gear just clips naturally. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So so it's just catching within let's just say for it's just catching like within a half dB on the fab filter after I add yeah. my gain. I'm basically just doing clean gain. It's like clip gain up, but I'm doing it in the fab filter, you know, to get us back up to zero. Um as final output level. Negative zero point two. That's what I do. Um so yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> I'm not taking 12 dB off ever on anything. That's a secret. That's the secret. I do. Oh, never mind. That's how it Continue. gets like the low end so smooth. 
<laughs> the low end falls apart. It's not there. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> the low end is so clean. He left it on the there. field. It's all, <laughs> yeah. It's all taken off there. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, I mean, I was, I was pretty much done with that point. Okay. Um, was there anything else you really wanted to address, uh, address as far as like approaching and whatnot? And um, we were just kind of finishing up the whole thing of like, I feel like what I do is relatively like not efficient, but <laughs> and I don't know why I do that. Like it's, I mean, I don't think it's a self confidence thing. It's just like I just you should work I have how you to make work, sure you know. Like you ever like I don't I don't know. It's like. I, I I used to have a roommate who I definitely know does not listen to this podcast, and he used to like lock a door twelve times, and it's like, dude, it's locked, or like turn off a light eighteen right. times, and it's like, if that's like, if like you're OCD like that, then you know you do you. Right. It's like don't get me wrong. It's like I'm like always checking the garage door, being like, oh, did I did I close the garage door and stuff like that? Because like there was like a few times that like for some, whatever reason it opened on its own, mm-hmm. and so now I'm paranoid, and so I always have to check the garage door, which is great because that's how I turned. That's how I found out that uh, my water tank that apparently was 26 years old uh, was leaking, <laughs> and that I needed a new water tank, and so uh, that. I, I'm I'm not ashamed of that. Now it's probably reinforcing that really weird behavior of mine even more. Right. So, um, I don't think it's a self like confidence thing. I think it's just kind of like I really want to make sure that this is like perfect. Right. And so I've I've never like known if there's like a better way. And so I guess like without like watching other people do it, which I don't. Right. Um, <laughs> you don't really know if your way is weird or whatever. Right. So yeah, I mean, I anywho. think I think the way I work is weird, but I I think the way you work is weird too. But I love it, and it the way I work is people a, love it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, well, they like the end product. I don't know if they like the way I work. I just call it organized chaos. Is really what's sure. going on in here. Um, but it it works for my brain. You know, that's that's what I think people should latch on to is you should work how you want to work, you know, and approach records how you want to approach it. And I do believe you'll eventually find enough people that like that. <laughs> I do. Like, there's so much music that you'll eventually find people who like the sound you're creating with them, um, you know, if you if you do it long enough and talk to enough people and work on enough records. Um, that's a lot of my career is when I first started, people didn't really understand what I was doing, especially the genres I was doing in Nashville. People didn't really, weren't on board with like top 40 smashed records, big bottom end, high energy. Um, Wasn't always the thing here, but now it's kind of become popular. Anyway, that's a different topic. Um, So as far as like, let's say... So when you when you're back in the box, really the like you're not really doing any other processing besides just you're like Pro L two, and that's it. Yeah, pretty much outside of that's crazy to me. Occasionally, I mean, we've talked about plugins. I like Oxford Inflator, Oxford Limiter. You know those two, and if I'm using them, it's um, it's using their saturation. If I just feel like it needs more Oxford Inflator for more bottom end focused Oxford Limiter. Not limiting, using just the enhance function in there. Nothing limited, just the harmonics of the enhance, which is more like top end. I'll use mm-hmm. the Oxford Pro tip, Oxford limiter, the enhance button. That to me is almost like a vocal adjuster. So, yeah, that is. If I have a few songs where the vocal is too quiet in comparison to 10 other songs, I will pull that baby up and just glide it up. Glide it up. Why do you think glide it up? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'm going to glide it up. I'm going to fade it up until the vocal feels like it's popping and sitting up front again, like the other records that, you know, are on there. It's amazing. Um, I'll use that. But yeah, I mean, even if, I, I don't yeah. really care for it as a limiter, though. No, I don't use it. I, I do not use it at all as limiter. I don't think it's. I feel like it's too slow. It, on the release. It just doesn't make anything sound louder to me, which maybe is that too slowness. Um, it, it sounds old. It sounds like such an old limiter to me, but the enhance function <laughs> to me is, is brilliant. 
It sounds like an old digital limiter. Right. That's it doesn't what, yeah, sound, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't like, sound like an analog limiter. No, it just sounds well, like, and it's crummy. like analog limiter is like the like the wrong thing. It sounds like it's not just like like whenever you had like the digital hardware limiter. Yeah. Yep. That's kind of what, it, at least to me, is what it sounds like. Not the enhanced thing. The enhanced thing right. is pretty nice. I generally can never use it because if I would use it, I'd kind of use it like after the print. Yeah. And you're coming in on minus 12. I'm coming in smashed as hell. Right. <laughs> and, well, that's why I give yeah, myself like, headroom coming back in. Excuse me. Hey, my headroom is just whatever dynamic range right. I left for myself. I don't want to clip the helo. Um. But yeah, I leave myself room in the box just because I know it's easy to up the gain in the box. Like it's a yeah. clean gain. So um that's just how I do it. So that's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I also like the Tokyo Dawn. We've talked about that within there. There's a limiter, there's a clipper, high frequency limiter, compressor. If I feel like there's just not enough juice, or even if the client comes back and is like, hey, I need this to be a, a dB louder that'll just be like a plus one on the fab filter, you know, one more dB. Yeah. Or if I feel like, sometimes the fab filter to me just sounds terrible if you get past a dB. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. I just I just don't think that, I don't think that plugin can handle <laughs> gain reduction. Like I really don't, um, which is kind of weird as a limiter. Within a dB, I think it like shines with the release and attack and release options. Mm. It really, that to me is what I like about the fab filter is, it's attack and release settings. Um, yeah, but I'll take out the Tokyo Dawn and just pick a, you know, the compressor or the clipper or something and just up the gain or the drive knob on it, a dB, and, you know, we'll be fine. Nothing detrimental happened, in my opinion, doing that. So, but yeah, that's kind of all I do. So it's just all about EQ balance for me, you know? Hmm. That's the same with Let's approaching see. records, like approach. Approach them with where do I find the balance? That doesn't always mean every record's flat. It's like the yeah. finding the balance within the record um, and what works for it. Yeah. Now, I'll normally like a big thing for me is whether I or not, or and where I handle any like like high frequency taming. Yeah. And so it's like, do I want to handle it? And if it's in the right frequency range to handle it on the front end um, before any print, if something's kind of like out and kind of wild. I have like a few options in the, or I'm sorry, like in the box. Um, in uh, in the analog, I have a few options, but they kind of might need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, or it's like, do I want to handle any like high frequency taming um, on the plug-in side post print? And so... I don't know. I I have a few options that I really enjoy. Um, enjoy with those. Um, if I want a vocal louder, I literally love Master Rebalance, and I just—it's like literally you can just engage it for like a vocal, and for it to physically work because it, you don't get any lag when you're dragging the slider. So that means that when you turn it on, since it's like lagging, you watch your little CPU meter just jump to a million. <laughs> um, you know that it's like mentally inside its own little AI thing capturing what it believes is the vocal. And so if it's doing that, then there's a little bit of isolation that's going to naturally happen. And so you can just turn it on and on vocal and it'll just like naturally something will pop just a touch. But it's like 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. I mean, you can like slam it, but... Or if a vocal's too loud, or if like a yeah, it's like I don't know, bass guitar is kind of like crazy. Like you're like I don't like how that printed really, and for some reason you didn't catch it. See if you can pull it down first or something like that, so you don't have to go through a reprint. Especially if you have like a lot of versions, you just waited like twenty five minutes for like a whole thing of things. But you should have caught it before. But if you didn't, you don't want to go through twenty five minutes. <laughs> Check that out real quick. Right. It's kind of nice, kind of a lifesaver. You don't have to pull out an EQ and pull down like all the other things kind of surrounding that vocal or the instrument or something like that. Um, I like that. I do like, and I've got, I really have maybe in the last few months gotten into like, like clipper plugins and stuff. And I, I just like the aggressiveness is kind of fun. And it's like, yeah, it's like, what does this do? And so the funny thing is I love the, there's like a, there's a clipping preset inside the Pro L2. And it's like, I can't remember 
what it's called, but um, there's two of them, I think. One's like potentially loud, and then there's like another one. But just kind of like doing that, and it's kind of you just get some like nice cr- clean aggressiveness, which is I guess an oxymoron. And uh, it's like if you wanted to do that, or if you just want like a little bit of level, like, and you need to use the Pro L two in that kind of uncomfortable range, mm-hmm. then it's you might as well stack limiters at that point. Yeah, and I rarely will go over 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 with the Pro L two without stacking another one because, and I've said this in other episodes, if you're going to, if you're already pretty loud and you're going to take off 0.6, you still have to deal with that recovery time from 0.6 dB of gain reduction. And so you're going to have a lot better time if your final limiter is set to that 0.3 and then you set that whatever first limiter to 0.3. And so both limiters are going to recover from 0.3 decibels of gain reduction quicker than one limiter is going to respond from 0.6. So like regardless of what you do. So the only one that I really have found to be like stupid fast to where it may not even be like relevant is this like, it's an, it's an analog compressor that foot control systems that I have. Mm-hmm. It's like stupid. Stupid quick, and I had like a I had a song with like a double bass kick thing going on, and it's like it was just like getting a little bit too, like, like peaky, mm-hmm. and it just like I put it was like like the ratio on it's like one two zero two five to one. So like the first click on the ratio, and then it was like the nonlinear filter, and it's like when the double when the double bass kick, whatever comes in, it's like the little tiny quarter dB light just like flickers a few times and you're like, okay, cool. And then like the little tiny peaky thing that was going on is not happening anymore. But I like rarely will like compress low end or something. Normally the high pass filters on for that. Um, but I don't know, to each his own and each thing has its own little situations. So I mean, those are kind of like little, like myriad of things that I might do when I go back in the box. But I'm normally not just here's a limiter, and so that's that's confidence that I do not have currently, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I do all my passes. If you do something else, I would absolutely love to hear when you come back in the box. Are you done, or are you tweaking a little bit? Please let me know. Can I wrap the episode? I got six minutes left before I gotta leave. Yeah, you can wrap. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um. The only I, thing I was going to say was how do you know when it's done? Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's an episode in itself. I know. So maybe we wait. All right. If you got like three sentences, what would you say? Three you sentences. You have to count them. Say as many sentences as you want. Just I'll <laughs> keep it brief. How do I know when a record is done? My best. My best conclusion is... It's highly based on the client's goal. That's yeah. really it. So whatever the client wants it to be, competitive, blah, 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 or playlist or pitching to labels or whatever they're doing or all of the above, you know, that's when I know a record is done is based on the client's wishes, not my own bias or desire. So that's really it. Like people also, the other thing would be like, People just way overthink everything. And mm-hmm. you can't know if a record is truly done until you get client feedback. So I'm always committing and trusting my gut based on what I think the client is saying they want. And then I want to send it off as soon as possible to them, like round mm-hmm. one. Like I don't do like double passes or like second guess myself. No. Um, at this stage, when I first started, yeah, there was like, I'd run a pass and be like, I just, don't think that's great. <laughs> like it's just and it wasn't even like a insecurity. It's just like, oh, the low end is just shitting out, you know, or crapping out. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I just corrected myself from cursing. <laughs> anyway, um the client feedback is so important to me, and I usually want to get it off to them as soon as possible to get their ears on it because ultimately I want them to be most happy. So you yourself never get to, in theory, call the record done or know when it's done. It's impossible because you're just in your room by yourself. Like, how do you know when a record's done when the client has signed off on it? That's when it's done. Sure. 
And that's Period. to me technical. Yeah, but that's, no, it's like it's when do you, like the question really should be: When do you know that that master is done? Yeah, and yeah, and so it's like yeah, it's like there's the technical thing of when it's signed off and when you get paid and all that stuff. But like, when do you physically know you are done mastering this? I think that's like the meat of your question. I know when it's done, just by. Just by however, like trusting myself, like there's no, there's a million ways I could master the song, but whatever way comes out that day, based on what the client's saying, I just trust that that's what it's supposed to be. Like, you could call that dumb or impractical or stupid or like I don't care, but I literally many moons ago decided I'm going to trust myself and I'm going to run the pass, you know, after I've decided, okay, this is what I think it needs, print it and just send it off. Like, it's a trust. It's a trust thing. Like, knowing your record is done or knowing when the master is done for me is all about trusting myself that the client has hired me and and is trusting me to trust myself (laughs) because I've done this more than they have. And that's all I do. I keep it so simple. Like, there's nothing technical about it. You just do your work and trust that your work is what the, why the client hired you in the first place. So don't get all squirrely about it, and then send it back to them. Like I think people really overcomplicate the idea of when is something done. It's done whenever you want it to be, <laughs> because we live in a world of infinite options and variables, and so you could always tweak and adjust and tweak and adjust. But for me, I just started trusting my gut, and two over time you get. I know when something locks in; it's an ear thing that I think you develop, but certain songs will hit these sweet spots to me where they feel big and loud and alive. And as soon as I lock into that, I just stop. I like print immediately. I don't think of anything else. I'm not like, what's that button do? Or should I try that? It's a feeling um, that I think is developed based on experience. So I guess the, the ultimate question would be, how do you develop that feeling to trust yourself and for me, the answer is just do it 10,000 times. <laughs> like, I don't know. And get client feedback um, mm-hmm. and study records like we've talked about before. So that, I'm going to end it there because I know we're on time. So That was more than three sentences yeah, you know. or it was a lot of commas. Anyway. I'm a run-on writer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chapter one, one sentence. Take us home or but say... it's like 12 pages. Or say something. Well... <laughs> Well, I'm going to say how I know a record's done. Um, one thing that I'm very appreciative of starting in front of house is like when you get a mix really, really dialed in, at least me, I would get goosebumps. Yeah. And she's like, or you have that feeling, I'm going to turn the mic away, but like you get a feeling and you can't audibly say it because, you know, you're mixing the sound, but it's like, it's like you get that feeling, you're like, ooh, this is cooking right like like that's like the feeling and i don't know you just kind of get like the warm fuzzies about it don't get me wrong there's some stuff you'll never get that feeling for and it's like yep this is as good as we can do and so you can either take you can take that other side and you can say it's done when there's nothing else you can do to make it sound any better so i don't know that's kind of like my little two second answer Love but that. normally I'm getting goosebumps or it's like, I'm like, you just, you just know you got that feeling of like, this is, this is like a fucking jam. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> so it's like, you're, I'm excited to send this off and it's like, we got to like, like, let, let me listen to this like a little bit like this afternoon or something like that before I send it off or maybe let me sit on this for a minute. So I don't know, cause maybe yours might be zonked. So you're just like hyping yourself up about your, I don't know how loud your speakers were and now stuff's like really bright and you come back to you're like, ew. (laughs) And so you need to make a little bit of a tweak. Give your ears a break. Anyway, let's wrap this podcast. I am a minute and a half late. Um, If you've gotten this far in the podcast, thank you so much. There is a sweet beat queuing up in the background from the one and only lovely Sam Moses. He's got some beats over at beesabeats.com. Go check them out. Go vibe out. Go... Do whatever you want to do over there. You can buy one of the beats or many of the beats. I'm sure you'd love that. Uh, if you liked what we said, leave us some comments. Take a screenshot now and post it to Instagram, to Facebook, wherever you're sharing stuff. Let people know you're listening. Let us know you're listening. Don't forget to tag your dog or 
Biggie Smalls or <laughs> take a picture of your dog for all we care. That'd be great. If you have a dog thing and you do not like the animal, but like if you have a dog page, not like a dog thing. You obviously have a dog thing if you have you you know you own the thing. Anyway, um, just like a Seinfeld episode over here. Um, <laughs> anyway, if, there you go. If you need a mastering engineer, is that is this going to be like a sassy like baseline? Could be the whole time. Definitely do. Right uh, in the notes. Gonna do that. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Uh, anyway, if you need a mastering engineer, uh, Sam can be found at. I was gonna say you can be found at for the record. Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at for the record mastering. We would both love to finish your records. Um, yeah, it'd be our honor to to do that. So, um, besides that, I think that's all we got. If you can chew up the Seinfeld music, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having. Have a good one. See y'all in the next episode. Cue the music. Yay! See y'all. Run, Matt, run. looking too.